Welcome to the On Duty, Off Duty podcast, episode 82, part of the Concealed Carry Podcast Network, and I'm your guest host tonight, Rob Garrett. Tonight, my guest is the founder of Off Duty, On Duty, Brian Eastridge, and we're going to talk about his recent experience at the Rangemaster Pistol Instructor Course. Good evening, sir. How are you? Let me Doing get a well. As am I. Let me get a word from our sponsors. Thanks for the uh, intro. Uh, sponsor message: CCW Safe Off Duty Ten will get ten percent off your uh, membership. EDC Belt Co. The Foundation Belt. Get them at edcbeltco.com. Last but not least, the Guardian Conference is right around the corner. Guardian Conference September seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth in Oklahoma City at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. So, uh, check out, as always, links are in the show notes and, uh, I'm your guest. So, uh, you've already given me an intro, so we can just jump right in. The shoes are on the other feet tonight. In in the words of Michael Scott from the office. Oh, how the turn tables. Anyway, (laughs) it's a little (laughs) office humor. So, you know, we talked, uh, before you went and then we talked a little and exchanged text messages since you got back. So we're going to talk tonight about. Tom Givens Range Master Instructor Course. And uh, first off, what drove you to, what was the driving factor for you to attend this? Well, two things. Um, uh, you know, some of our esteemed colleagues, Daryl Balky, Wayne Dobbs, uh, Lee Weems, uh, we were at TACCON, we were kind of talking and at, uh, oh, what was the revolver roundup? They were talking about uh, Rangemaster, and uh, I'd known several people that had been through it, and I just piped up and said, yeah, I need to get into that one of these days. And all three, well, and Haggard was there, like four heads turning, they look at me and went, we thought you'd already been through that. And I said, oh, I don't know if that's good or bad. And they were like, no, it's good because you obviously, you know what you're doing. Uh, But we just kind of assumed you had already been through the Rangemaster course. So right then... I decided, okay, I I need to go validate. <laughs> Validates maybe not a good word, but I, I really need to go get the bona fides associated with this course. And the second part of that was my dear friend Michael Burgess from North Carolina. He's attended TACCON with me, and uh, I've kind of spent a lot of time mentoring him on how to coach people, how to teach people, how to write a curriculum, things like that. Um, he reached out to me and said, Hey, Tom is putting on a course two hours north of my house. Uh, how about you fly out here and we'll drive up there. So that was, uh, that was the other part of it. So yeah, it was, it was peer pressure and, uh, a little bit of a friend's encouragement and all the stars aligned to make it happen. They did indeed for, uh, what was it, about a week ago. So no airport drama. Uh, lots of it on the way back. None on the way there. The way there was the fastest flights I've ever been on the way back. There was weather the whole way. So I got delayed every stop. I did a little research for the record. I have not trained with Tom. Uh, I have heard his name for years and, you know, Tom and his program has been around since 96 going into this. What did you think made his program different and or so successful? Oh man, it was just very matter of fact. It takes it from the perspective of the armed citizen a lot better than a lot of other courses do. Along with that, he holds a very, very high standard. I've been through a lot of shooting courses, a lot of, uh, you know, everything from NRA to post or cleat, you know, one day instructor schools on, Hey, here's how we teach you to run a flashlight in low light. This is, you know, carbine instructor schools, shotgun instructor schools, all these, these modicums of schools that were demonstrations in proficiency, but not really testing you to hold you accountable to a standard. And then of course the written tests in most of those, those courses were very, I call them foot stompers where the instructor gets up there and stomps his foot and says, pay attention real close. This might be on the test. You know, Tom was the absolute polar opposite of that. It was, you will have all the information. How well you retain it is up to you. It, it was an intense exercise in study. Now I don't mean to sound arrogant, but 
maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. I was not worried about the shooting portions of the test because I, I know my skill sets and I knew just from people that had been there that I've shot with and been amongst, I thought it's going to be challenging. I'm going to be, have to be on my game, so to speak. But the other side of that is, um, I didn't worry about failing the shooting portions, right? Makes sense. And we'll get into the the curriculum and the course Mm -hmm. in, in just a minute, but from your background, your 20 plus years law enforcement, what other instructor courses without spending 10 minutes on a resume, but what are the, the instructor courses that you value the most that you've taken? That one. And well, previous to this, <laughs> well, that one. And then uh, cleat. Okay. The, uh, the governing body for Oklahoma, their firearms instructor school is very challenging as far as the proficiency and shooting portion. It is extremely accuracy heavy, not a lot of speed heavy, but very accuracy heavy. And just to get into that course, you have to have a level of proficiency that if you can't pass that initial proficiency, you're not going to get into the school, which is good because you're not going to pass any of the rest of the courses and everything is held to 90%. What you do with it after that kind of on you, that course, and then years of competition that was where so not so much on the instructor side but just that was what kind of prepared me mentally and to uh to do that cleat spirearms instructor school for a post school i tell them they do they hold all the standards high except teaching you how to be an instructor well and that's where i was going to go georgia post which is peace officer standards and training for your listeners that aren't familiar with the law enforcement community they are the governing body for any given state and Georgia requires you to shoot in the first day in two attempts. And if you don't pass, they send you home and that's that. But there are two different types of instructor school that, that I'm aware of. Some are a shooting school and some do not focus so much on shooting skills, but the actual instruction side of the house, how to teach you, to teach, how to diagnose students, how to recognize problems. How is Tom's class worth as far as teaching you to coach and recognize problems? The best way to sum it up is it was, uh, let's see how to put this politely. It was 20 pounds of uh, prime ribeye steak in a 10 pound bag. It was the total package of you have to be able to coach. You have to be able to teach. You have to be able to test and you have to be able to shoot. Any other okay. instructor school, one of those four areas, you're you're not going to get. And he crams that into a three-day school. And I don't mean crams it in a bad way. I mean, there is never any real downtime. That was what really separated most of them. So. How many students were in the class? Uh, we had 21. 21 total students, yeah. Who else was from a law enforcement background besides you or how many? Uh, one other guy, 19 of them were from, you know, prior military, maybe had been through some other instructor development, but, but two of us were, were career law enforcement officers. That's impressive that 19 non LE people will travel for this program, pay the tuition and spend three days of intense training. And that says something, I think, about the armed citizen community in our in our country and at this day and time. It carried a lot of weight with me um, because there were some very proficient shooters in that class um, and and people that were very well versed in, uh, you know, I like Colonel Cooper's combat triad, right? Marksmanship mindset gun handling and uh a lot of that class had all three pretty well in balance does tom post any precursors or uh, prerequisites for the class that would give a student that maybe isn't quite ready for that enough information ahead of time where they don't go out there and and have a negative experience or crash and burn 
you know, I, I don't recall seeing that. I know, I know the, the emails that I got in preparation for the class were pretty stern and matter of fact, I mean, they weren't, they weren't rude. They were just be prepared to work all day from 9am to 6pm. Be prepared to work. The other thing that impressed me about it was show up with what you carry every day. Um, that was one of the big points that I saw because I've seen people, you know, they're concealed carrier and they show up to a, uh, you know, a course, a course, a shooting course or shooting school, and they're wearing a dropped leg bucket holster with some, you know, minuscule amount of retention, not concealed, open carrying all these, you know, they're carrying what, what I would consider to be a, uh, you know, like a specialized piece of equipment to go train with. And then at the end of the class, they would take all of that off and put it in a concealed carry and grab a different gun and put it in a concealed carry rig. And Tom was very adamant. You will, you will shoot and you will train with what you carry every single day. No competition rigs. No, uh, I think he did mention something about an exception for law enforcement. If you were actually wearing a full duty rig, you were, but I just kind of glanced over that, but, and, and not to, again, not to sound contrite, but. I didn't read into it a lot because I kind of had an, I kind of had a pretty good idea of this is going to be a very difficult, very challenging course. So I didn't really read the prerequisites if there were any. So that leads me into what was your gear for the class? I ran uh, a, a stock G45 with, uh, I replaced what I like to refer to with Glock, the dovetail protection units. Uh, <laughs> those plastic sites. (laughs) Sorry. I knew I'd get you with something, but the dovetail protectors, I, I, I replaced those with Trigicon HDXRs with the orange front sight. I'm required to carry a light on my gun at work. So I had a TLR seven, uh, streamlight TLR seven mounted concealed carry holster is a JM custom Kydex AIWB holster with, I think they're called DCC clips. If it works, it works great. Uh, and it fits that that holster with or that gun with the light setup, so it's like a Glock nineteen size top end with a a light that fits flush. Uh, and then I carried two of Tony Mayer JM Custom Kydex. I carried two of his uh, slim fit mag pouches that wear on the belt, and they have a really super tight clip that uh, just mounts them on the belt almost like a uh, solid loop. I mean, they're extremely difficult to get on and off and I had to carry two for the course. Normally I only carry one and, and if that, sometimes I carry a mag in my pocket, but I'm, I'm familiar with running two mags on the hip, but, but that was my setup. And then I, I shot, I shot a hodgepodge of ammo. I, some of it was uh defender ammunition out of North Carolina. I had some of their 124 grain ammo. And then for the tests, I, my fallback ammo for Glocks is American Eagle 147. It just, it shoots like a laser beam. So I, I gave myself the luxury of taking 250 rounds of that to school to make sure that the qualifications, there was no ammo issues with them. So how many magazines did you take? All of them. (laughs) I know that sounds a bit concerned. I had about 12 magazines with me because they're Glock 17 Gen 5 mags, and, you know, you can buy them at, like, every convenience store in America. So just... Why not? Yeah, why not? When I adopted that pistol in June of last year, about once a payday, I'd go and buy one or two mags. You know, it's like 25 30 bucks. I'd buy one, throw it in my range bag, and I've just accumulated quite a collection of them. And uh, I took all of them. I, I left them all loaded the night before I loaded every single mag. And then uh, I, Tom kind of structures the class around. You need to have one for the gun and two on the hip and a pocket full of pocket full of BBs, you know, as Wayne Dobbs would say, get a pocket full of BBs so you can top them off. Uh, so a lot of times when people were standing there loading mags, I would just throw an empty in my range bag and go grab two or three more and throw them in a cargo pocket. I think the lesson here is number one, know your gear. Don't go to any school with brand new gear or or a brand new gun. 
test it before you go and take every magazine you got. And if you're lucky, you can load once in the morning and shoot all day like Roy Rogers. I will say that I took great, took a great number of magazines there, right? It made it much more convenient. And when other students are over there grabbing handfuls of ammo and shoving them in mags, I grab two mags, throw them in my pocket and I'm ready. And I had about a two to three minute reprieve between things going, you know, between the next course of fire. And that's something I've done for years. You know, when I was real heavy into Berettas, I think I've got about 60 Beretta mags. So I would take them, you know, I'd take like 20 of them, load them all the night before. And then it, when I would hear the, the range command, all right, everybody holster up now go back and top off mags. Well, I would just grab a couple of topped off mags and that gave me that mental processing time and that little bit of that little bit of, I can give my hands a rest. I can give my brain a rest and I can just get back on the line and get focused on what I need to do next. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of if you need three mags for a course, take nine. Uh, (laughs) If you need five mags for a course, take 15. Did you take a spare pistol in case something catastrophic happened? I did. Um, fortunately, my good, my good friend, Michael Burgess had a Glock 17 and a full holster array for it. So I had ammo and magazines for that gun. And, uh, the night Michael has a gun range in his backyard. I flew in on a Wednesday. The course started Friday. So Thursday morning, I went out and spot checked all my gear you know, made sure screws are tight on the holster. Like I do, you know, once a month or so, uh, made sure my magazine pouches were, were good. And I grabbed his, uh, he actually had two Glock 17s, uh, because you know, he's a great American. So two is one and one is none. Exactly. So I took one of the Glock 19s. I shot it, made sure it shot about the same point of aim that my G 45 did took the other gun. It has the same, it has HDXRs. He might've gotten that for me. Right. And I shot the ammo that I was shooting in my G 45. I ran about five rounds through each at 25 yards, just to make sure that there wasn't going to be a big POI shift or anything. And then we stuck those in a Pelican case, stuck the holster, you know, a holster in there for, uh, for each one. And you know, luckily he takes gear advice from me. So I said, you know, a JM or a keeper or something. So he had that ready to go. So when I hit the ground in North Carolina, I was ready to go and I could have blown two guns up and still had another one. <laughs> Not that I would encourage that. But. That's a great luxury. So any particular gear problems with either you or the class and then we'll kind of get into the curriculum both academic and then range work and then i'm really interested in the qual standards and the text message you sent me about the written exam but first any gear problems uh i saw a lot of ammunition hiccups now granted 21 students shooting 800 to a thousand rounds each so you're talking 16, 17 to 21,000 rounds somewhere in there were fired in three days. Um, I saw some ammo issues, uh, gear issues. The only real gear issues I saw were guys that had kind of dirty guns, maybe having to tap the back of a slide or something like that. Um, didn't see any real holster issues or anything like that. We had one, one lady had a squib, um, just the, the nature of, the times we're in with ammo production numbers being through the roof. Uh, I did have uh, the ammo that I was shooting at the time at 15 yards. I was getting about a two inch high pattern. And at 25 yards, I was getting about six inches high. And I didn't know that until we shot that stage. I just had to kind of, and it was a minor hiccup, but I had to keep in my mind, if we're going to shoot back here at 25 yards, I need to break out 147 ammo and there wasn't a ton of shooting at 25 yards. Uh, but, but either way, uh, ammo issues were more the, um, more than gear. Most, all of the pistols I saw were, were running pretty well. So, so for the million dollar question, how many people in the, the class were running red dots? 
Oh, I think I counted five. So five out of 22 were wearing, were running irons. So 17 of them. I think I want to give or take a couple, but give or take, but more than two thirds of the class were running a dot was appendix. The most prevalent carrier. Was there a good mix? Uh, there was a good mix on that. That one kind of surprised me. There were several people that were still carrying three o'clock or, or just three thirty. you know, right behind the hip. Um, there, there were still several people carrying that that way. So so that was any a, red dots go down. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't really pay attention to that part of it. This course, uh, right from the onset, I knew was going to be so intense that I, I don't mean to sound uh, like uh, cliche when I say I really stayed in my lane, but I was real. I was on lane number nine, and I was only focused on what was going on on lane number nine. So. Uh, I don't think we had any red dot issues, but I really don't know. Well, I take that back. One of the students I was working with, uh, he had a red dot that was being a bit intermittent. And, you know, I won't disclose his name or anything, A, because I don't remember, and B, I wouldn't say it if I knew it. But uh, one of the students that I was working with when we were doing some coaching, he goes, man, my red dot's really messing up here. And he goes, and if it goes down... I have a gun that doesn't have backup iron sights on it. That was one of those moments I was like, you know, you might should have thought about that before you got here. And and I didn't say that to him. I didn't want to like break his confidence. And ultimately he did really well in the course. Uh, but he had a bottom load battery, uh, you know, and for some reason, whatever was going on with that that red dot wasn't jiving now i don't know if he fixed it after class or what but he got through the course just fine so so let's talk about the curriculum and let's start academic because you said that was really the most intense part because you've you've competed for years multiple instructor level certifications and and so we and we'll get into the range work, but I'm really interested about the academic curriculum. Well, I, I've never been to college. You know, I tell people I'm smart. You probably can't prove it on paper. The academic aspect of it was extremely intense um, and not intimidatingly so, but it was a it was a known factor out there that you were going to have to take a very in-depth test at the end. Uh, and in the front of Tom's manual, he gives you a, about an eight section study guide, which accounts for about 160 pages. <laughs> so, um, but it was call, I would say in the gun world, it was college level curriculum. Um, a lot of work, a lot of verbiage, a lot of wording that, you know, you had a fill in the blank test and there was no answer key over here that has, you know, 60 words in it. You had to know it or you didn't. Um, and I think we, he gave us about 35 minutes to take an 80 question test. Um, there was some true false, some multiple choice, but the bulk of that test was memory recall. Hopefully I'm not treading on sacred ground here. I'm not going to give away any test questions. There would be a sentence that might have five words missing from it. And it might pertain to safety, ammunition, adult learning, instruction. <laughs> so you really had to hit the books. And that is something I have never had to do in any instructor level course. Um, it was not open book. There was no access to your notes. It was, here's a test. You either know this information, you've retained it, or you don't. Um, and this is the one course that I've ever taken that, uh, class ended at six. The earliest we ever ended a class was at two minutes till 6 PM. And we would go uh, do a little shower rotation in the room, grab a bite to eat, 
30, 45 minutes, go back to the room and hit the books until 10 or 11 o'clock that night. So it was, and you know, part of it for me and for Michael both, we discussed was, you know, it was a pretty substantial financial investment to go to that course. And we were not going to throw our money out the window. We were going to get every penny out of it. So, so can you share a basic outline of the general subject topics that were in the guide or the book? I mean, you, you listed a few from safety to adult learning, but can you give us a little more overview? Uh, safety, adult learning, types of firearms, deadly force, um, cartridges, uh, it was stuff. If you're, if you have been immersed in the firearms culture, you have probably been exposed to some of this before, but not to the levels of depth that he went into, um, you know, ballistics stuff like that, you know, stuff like that. You know, without giving away too much, that was kind of the, it was like if you took a post instructor certification, I'm talking like not in a, not in a specialty, just a, a how to make a class, uh, an NRA class with some of the safety, some of the cartridge stuff, gun function, et cetera, et cetera. And then you took all of that and pumped it full of steroids and made it really really robust and then had to do all those things and not only do all those things but test on all those things you know a, a basic nra instructor school i mean for lack of a better term it's a it's a bit of a gimme course show up and show up and hit an eight inch circle 15 out of 20 times at 10 yards or 15 yards or whatever it is read from a little manual and take an open book test. You know, there's really no challenge to it other than you had to pay money to get there. Tom's course is you will, you will either know this and get a certificate that says, I bless you as a, a range master certified instructor, or you won't. And, and you just attended a three day shooting course. That was a really good shooting course on top of it. So Hopefully that makes a little so, sense. It does. So what was the breakdown and the schedule between class time and range time? Ooh, I would say it was probably, oh, probably a pretty good right down the middle 50, 50. Every day, every single day. Uh, one of the days we were pretty range intense because we got delayed a bit. Uh, we had a lightning storm, so we had to go and Tom didn't waste a minute. That was another thing that just absolutely impressed me is, Hey, we've got a, a lightning. Everybody get off the range, go to the classroom, crack your books. Chapter six, go. Wow. Hey, <laughs> I'm kind of tired here, Tom. You've had me on the range for six hours and now you're going to cram four more hours of classroom before we go home. And I'm not, not that I'm complaining or whining in, in the least, he did not waste a second of time permeate information or test your skill set or teach you a skill refine it that is unusual i i had been to a, an instructor class where it was 50 minutes on the range and a 20 minute break and maybe an hour on the range and a 20 minute break and then classroom and a 15 minute break so obviously this was a total immersion into yes a very intensive in-depth course. And I will, I will credit him that during the classroom lectures, uh, he would take breaks on about on the hour and they would be between five and 10 minutes. So if we were kind of dragging behind in material, take a five minute break, get back in there, you know, go take a water break, so to speak, go water the bushes, get back in here and let's go. Uh, on the range, your we would have about a th three to five minute break. Go get in the shade, drink water, stuff your mags. All right, get back out there. More, 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 and and then all right, three to five minutes. Go back, get in the shade, get out of the sun, 
a couple times when it got really hot, he'd call a 10 minute break. Um, but at, but it wasn't 10 minute break and everybody find your spot on the line. It's like at the end of the 10 minutes, you better be parked in front of your target. So he kept a very regimented time schedule and I was extremely impressed with that. Did he run one relay? Two. For all 22? We, we had a split. It was split. We had, uh, we had two relays and, uh, you know, I, I was on the first relay and if you weren't shooting, you were coaching. If you weren't coaching, you were stuffing mags and stuffing water down your neck. So yeah, it was, it, it was impressive. And, uh, Tom did, he did mention, so I don't feel bad saying this, that he is 69 years old. He's almost 70 years old. And, uh, the man has some endurance because it, it wore me out. And I, and I know what it's like to teach a full eight to 10 hours a day. And the amount of endurance, the physical and mental endurance that takes and to watch him do that three days in a row, uh, was, was impressive. Well, let's get into some of the range work and the skills and the drills and the, the levels of proficiency. Uh, first off, when you got ready to shoot a drill or an exercise, did he demo it? Yep. And he would, I would say probably 60% of them he did. And then the rest of the time, uh, he would demo when he was making a point, when he was making a teaching point, because there's, there was some stuff that you, at a certain point, you didn't need a demonstration. He was just calling a, uh, a course. Okay. You're going to do X, Y, Z and go in the initial range day, every single task he demonstrated, he would demonstrate it. He would talk about it and then you would do it and you would do it and you would do it and you'd do it again. And then, okay, we're going to add a little piece to that. All right, this is the next piece. And he would demo it and then you would do it and do it and do it and do it. And then by about day two, the things, the things that he would demonstrate were, uh, were to make a teaching point. So, and some of that stuff's on YouTube. I went down to YouTube university before I took the class and watched Tom teach some stuff. And there was some stuff I was familiar with that he taught that wasn't on YouTube. Some of the concepts that, that he taught that I was, I've been exposed to or familiar with, or that I teach that's very similar. Uh, but, but demonstrations, he was very demonstration heavy on day one. So you said it was everyday carry as much as I hate the EDC term, but it was real world was, was what one of the requirements was. Did you shoot the whole class from concealment? I did. Yeah. And everybody else was required to didn't even breach the whole, Hey, I'm a full-time cop and I wear a duty belt. And I, I didn't even want to explore that because better than 80% of my time is spent as an armed citizen. That's one of the things I've, I've prided myself on for a lot of years is I'm good from a duty rig. I'm, I'm just as good if, if not maybe better in some aspects from a, uh, concealed carry rig. And I put a lot of effort into it. So my expectation there was, Hey, I'm in North Carolina. I'm an armed citizen here. You know, I have no powers of arrest here. So why am I going to put on a duty rig to go to a course? But everybody was required to either wear a cover garment and I dressed like I do 90% of the time, you know, Eddie Bauer shorts and a t-shirt. Usually the t-shirt says firearms trainers association on it. Uh, thanks for the free clothes guys. I wear that a JM appendix rig and a, a maybe a, a couple of mags, maybe one mag. It's exactly how I ran the course. So in general, you said you were tested to a very high standard. And there were tight time constraints. Can you give the listeners an example? A lot of the time standards at distances, they were reasonable, but they were not something that you could just crutch and get by. Five rounds from the holster in five seconds at five yards on a playing card. So now an old West playing card. That was one of the exercises that Tom gave us a little memento, you know, and, and he, he's such a, a great historian that 
you know, okay. And prior to 1910, there were town marshals and the town marshals were usually appointed and they wanted to see if you're good with a pistol and everybody carried a revolver that was six rounds. You never carried a hammer down on the six rounds. So everybody carried with five shots in the gun. So old West playing cards were this size and he would go into the die cut on the paper was this size and it's the same as an index card or, or whatever. I mean, he would go through a historical rabbit hole that was fascinating. And then he'd go, so if you can hit this card five times in five seconds, then, you know, I'll sign your card. Cause that's, you know, that was the, that was the cop standard in 1899. And, and, you know, do you guys want to do it from concealment or you want to do it from the low ready? And we all opted to do it from concealment, you know? shoot a playing card five times at five yards, which is, you know, it's a a little bit less than a three by five card. You know, that's, that's a tall order for somebody that is not very proficient. That's kind of the stuff I, I work on. I practice on, I shoot, you know, I shoot a lot of that stuff. The mental side of it wasn't intimidating, but even I'm human. So I go, man, I don't want to whiff around in front of my buddies here. I want, I don't want to whiff around being the guy from Oklahoma that nobody here knows I had to get up in front of the class and give myself a given inter given introduction, right? Everybody, everybody in there did. So they all know I'm a cop. They all know my, uh, a little bit of my pedigree. There's an element of pressure there that you can't replicate and simulate. <laughs> so, and ultimately, yeah, he did sign my playing card. So I was happy about that, but that's kind of one of the, one of the aspects of it. Also the range master qual is challenging you don't have to run full gas you don't have to have your pedal to the metal and outrun your headlights but you have to do everything right and you have to do it consistently and you have to have the fundamental aspects of shooting parked in your brain so well that that uh you're almost on autopilot and i would think and correct me if i'm wrong that everything he did on day one and progress built you up and, and reinforce the skills to succeed on his qual course. Yes. And no. And the reason I say, and no is yes, the skill sets built on each other, but if you did not have a good baseline before you got there, you weren't drinking from a water hose. You were drinking from a three inch fire hose that was wide open. That was one of the other things that pressed me is I a fairly proficient shooter. I mean, I try to get to the range once, twice a month. I've shot since I was three years old. I'm 42. So that's 39 years of learning this process. And it was the mental conversation was Brian, you better be on your game for this one. Don't bobble your draw. If you do recover and shoot it and shoot to the sights. Okay. It, it was things, if you haven't refined certain things in your shooting ability, you were going to be behind that curve. You know, there was one course of fire that we shot. I, I, I don't remember it offhand, but I bobbled a draw coming out of the holster and I fired the last round and the whistle blew. I mean, I'm talking, it was on the razor's edge and I fired a great shot, but I had to have the mental discipline to go, Okay, I know I draw in about 1.1, 1.2. Just fairly robust. I can do it every time. And I push the draw speed. I bobble the draw. And I go, you're not that far behind. the. I mean, I'm having this conversation in my head in like three seconds. Take the slack out of the trigger, press through. Slack out, press through. Ride the sights, back to the tar- Most courses I go to, I never have to have a conversation with myself. It is, oh, that's all you're asking me to do? Well, can we cut the time in half? Maybe, you know, or, Hey, can we maybe make the target smaller? I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but this one, it was the perfect balance of, of, of speed and accuracy. I, I, I think, or I, oh, not perfect. I hate to use the word perfect. It was a solid balance of speed and accuracy. Did you shoot a B eight or you shoot any bullseye? We did. We shot some B eight targets. We shot, uh, I think B B sevens on the range master bullseye course. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about bullseye course? Uh, the bullseye course started at 25 and ended at five. And it was, there was a whole lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth in between. 
it, and it was a tough course. That was actually the course I found out that my ammo was shooting really high on. <clears throat> Daryl Balky claims it's freakish that you can see that I can see bullets, and I guess Wayne Dobbs can too. But the first round I cracked out of the gun, I was keenly aware that thing that sucker went high. Um, and it, it's a 300 point course. I don't remember all the courses of fire. I'm sure they're published online, but I shot a 270. I shot a 90%. I lost 25 points at, at 25 yards between 25 and five. I only lost five points because I, I registered the point of a- impact on my ammo. Somebody that maybe wasn't prepared to do that or hadn't experienced, uh, Oh, this ammo's shooting a little hotter than I thought it was. And it's flying a little higher and being able to make that correction mid course of fire, just by what I'm visually seeing going down range, um, you know, that would have been a train wreck, but, uh, but either way that, that was a, a lot of B eights on there for a little bit. Um, we shot some, I want to say we shot Justin dials five yard roundup at some point in there, which is an exceptional course of fire. And Justin knows it. Cause I tell him that every time I talk to him, as do a lot of other shooters, I'm sure. On the bullseye quad, does he start you at 25 and move you in, or do yes. you get to start at five and move out? Starting cold at 25. Could you have shot this entire school with a revolver? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember going over five to six rounds per course of fire. You're, if you had a reload, you, you're going to have to hustle. Right. And there was, there was reload stages on the, uh, in the range master course of fire. I think they're achievable with a revolver, but you had better be a pretty savvy revolver hand to get that done. Uh, matter of fact, I, I made a little note in my notebook. It's funny you mentioned that cause I was reviewing some of my notes today. Uh, I made, <clears throat> I made a, a note in there to take the range master course of fire and, fire it with the old lucky model 10 and see if I can hustle through that from concealment with a model 10, uh, or, or not a model 10, but my model 10, the, which I, the model 10, which I know, I know the capabilities of that gun with the right ammo. And I just, I may post something on that, uh, next week or the week after just see if I can shoot the range master qual with it because, I don't think it would be unreasonable to do it with a revolver, but I think you better be really good with a revolver to do it. So, well, maybe that's something next time you're with Mr. Bulky and Mr. Dobbs, you can all three do together. I do believe Wayne may have, may have mentioned that in the past. So we'll see how that goes. Lessons learned. What'd you take away from it? There were three really big lessons to me is number one, Certify your ammo, period. Uh, even if you think you got it, you know, test it under some different con- conditions. And even your practice ammo, if you're going to shoot, because you're going to shoot practice ammo in that, that course, leave it out in the sun for a few minutes and see if it shoots in the same spot. And uh, that lesson, I will tell you right now, came directly from a guy shooting a red dot because he was sighted in at, 10 yard zero or 12 yard zero on his dot and it was hot and that ammo was not hitting to the same point of aim my gun with iron sights was not hitting to the same point of aim it was when it was sitting out there in the heat of the day not a knock against the ammo company not a knock against dot shooters or whatever but I had not shot that ammo in some of those conditions. So that was, that was lesson number one. Number two, I got a lot of work to do developing curriculum. I could use Tom Givens as the gold standard for the way a class is structured and presented. If you strive for that and you fall short, you're still better than the rest of the pack. That's how good he is. Third thing was data being more data driven tom's ability to intake digest and disseminate data is the best i've ever seen and to be able to look behind the veil of some of that data and go this is how this is skewed and i'll just give an example the ucr i've always used the ucr 
numbers as kind of a, hey, you know, that's a pretty good reference. That glass ceiling got shattered in Tom's glass because I didn't know only 51% of uh, law enforcement agencies report to UCR. I thought they all did. For our non-law enforcement people, explain what UCR is. Uniform Crime Report. It's the FBI's data center. You know, if I make a simple police report on a little Timmy's bicycle got stolen, that is categorized, typed and categorized, and a report is sent to the FBI. I don't know if it's quarterly, monthly, daily. I don't I don't know. Uh, but they use that to regional for regional reporting and for crime crime data reporting uh, as a digestible data bank, right? I had no idea that 49% of law enforcement in the U.S. doesn't even report that. They're not even UCR reporting agencies. So, so that's a pretty uh, inaccurate system. So speaking of data, it's my understanding that Tom really keeps in touch and tracks his students and tracks real-world encounters. And he has a uh, rather impressive win-loss record with people who have attended his courses. Yeah, I, I think he's up to 72 people that he has trained or that have been through his defensive pistol or instructor course that have been in, I guess we could refer to it as a civilian defensive shooting. And all but three have prevailed. And uh, the three that it, that didn't prevail have one thing in common. None of them had their gun. They, they weren't carrying a gun that day. I would say that's, uh, that's pretty remarkable just in, in and of itself. Uh, and he profiles, you know, not to spoil his course, which I would never do, but he profiles some of those incidents and, uh, really drives home the point that instead of saying, I can't believe this is happening to me, changing the mindset to, well, I knew this could happen. That really impressed a lot upon me. I take for granted. I, I, you know, I've worked in a profession for 20 plus years now that just deals in inherent, inherent violence for somebody to go, Oh my gosh, you, somebody tried to rob you the other night. I'd go, yeah, well, it's bound to happen at some point. A lot of the community of gun carriers do not have that mindset. And he makes it abundantly clear that uh, you've got to get that paradigm shift of instead of, I can't believe this is happening to me, to be like, well, I, I knew this was possible. <laughs> so did he talk a little bit about criminal behavior, pre-assault indicators, the whole thing that you would think would go into a good defensive course or managing unknown encounters? Not a lot of detail on like managing those contacts. Uh, I think that's a, that's a whole nother subject matter. But he did cover it with a broad brush. And if he talked about some of those specific instances from his students in the past, then that hit some of the high points, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there was some of that. It, that was not the, the focus of it. Uh, sure. But there was, there was a lot more on the data side, the population of the United States and your odds of being involved in a violent criminal assault. They're a heck of a lot higher than you really think they are. Um, and, and he was able to put that information out in a very digestible format. And when I say digestible format, I mean, I, I have no college education and I could, I could see their, I could see the writing. I could understand what he was talking about. It wasn't, um, you know, it, it was PhD level data at, at a, at a sixth grade level, if that makes sense. What was Michael's experience? What did he come away with? I'm sure y'all well, debriefed each other. We did. And I, I'm going to throw him some kudos because the range master bullseye course, he won a coin. He dropped seven points on a 30 point course and just absolutely throttled everybody that was there. You know, he's my dear friend and I would, I, I never talk negative about him because he's, you know, we're, we're lifelong friends. I watched that guy go from a little bit of self-doubt, lacking a little confidence in, in maybe his ability. And it wasn't because he didn't have the ability. He just didn't understand how much ability he had 
and uh you know he took a coin in a shooting competition amongst some of the best shooters I've ever been around. Now I've seen people that'll go faster. I've seen people that have shot more accurate, but I'm talking about all around rounded out gun handlers. And even Tom mentioned in a Facebook post that, Hey, this was an exceptionally solid group of individuals. And Michael excelled right to the top of them. And we had a drive on the drive home or, or to the hotel. I remember like I elbowed him and I'm like, do you believe what I've been telling you now for all these years? Like, you possess these skill sets and now you're seeing it. Um, and that totally took a mind that, that made him have a massive mindset shift from not from, am I going to pass, but how many of these people are, am I going to excel past? Uh, am I going to hold myself to a different standard now? So that was his experience. I, and I'm summing that really summing that up and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I really watched a mentality shift happen with that guy because all the things that I'd been telling him for years and years that, Hey dude, you realize like you're in the top 1% of 1% of the shooters, the concealed carriers in the world now because of your abilities. I don't think he had ever seen that firsthand in a group like that. And, uh, and consequently, once he achieved that, it was like, oh, that, okay, now we can, now we can devote our attention away from, am I going to pass? I've made this steep financial investment, all of this to, well, let's just see how good we can do in this, you know? And, and we have that almost sibling rivalry of like, well, Hey, do you want to touch my coin? Look what I won today. And I'm over there going, man, you didn't win that dude. You earned it. That was years of hard work and dedication that came together for that moment. So, uh, but it was really satisfying for me as somebody that's, you know, mentored him through some of this stuff to see him excel to that level. And it's like, okay, now you're bought in. Now you get it. Now you're, now you're in the club, right? Like you're. So I felt like for me seeing that, that was the most satisfying moment of the entire weekend was just seeing somebody that I'm, I'm close to excel at that level and come away with that, with a memento from Tom, you know, that you can't put a price tag on that, especially, you know, it's kind of like mentoring a little kid or something. And I, not that Michael's a little kid, but you know, somebody that has some, some self-doubt and some worry about certain things and you encourage them and you coach them and you teach them and you mentor them. And then they crack one over the fence in the little league game. And you go, I told you all along, you had that potential and now you've proven it. And then all they do after that is send, you know, <laughs> send the line drive right over the, you know, the, the back fence every game. Um, that, that was what it felt like for me and, 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 and I'm sure for him, um, you sound like a proud uncle. I, I feel like one and, and I don't, and that's not to steal any of his thunder at all. He was, uh, you know, I, I used to, we're, we're 1400 miles apart and he would send me videos and I'd plug them into coach's eye and go, Hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, try and refine this a little bit, this, that, and the other. And, he was the guy that when, when you give him a little bit of coaching, he goes out and applies it and pressure tests it because he's got a gun range in his backyard. Uh, <laughs> couldn't we all be so lucky, right? But he's labored to do that. And it was just really satisfying to see somebody reap the fruits of their labor a bit. And, uh, and instead of, looking at things from the perspective of, man, I really wish I could be in that group with you guys, or I really wish I was good enough to be like that. It's, oh, I'm good enough to be like that. Who, who can I now mentor? Who can I, who can I pass this on to? And how can I help you keep doing that? He, he no longer feels like a member of the JV team. Exactly. In the last four years, I've told him that I can't tell you how many times, like, dude, you, you're, you're spot on. You are in the pocket, you know, forget pedigree you put in the work. And, uh, 
And then to just see that come to fruition was like, I'm a, I'm over there like wanting to give the guy a hug and go, finally, you, you, you now, do you believe this now? You know? So I've been rattling on about that too. I'll probably have to edit half of that out, but he might I'll think just I'm, have a love fest here. I, he might think I'm going to send him a Valentine's card now. So before we move on to our last topic, anything else about the course you'd like to, to plug in? If you think you're good enough, if you have the inkling to think, you know, I'm getting to a point where I need to jump to a, I need to take a light speed jump to the next level. I would challenge you to go to that course. I'll put it like that. There's some standards and exercises that I like to use. If you go out and you can whack a 98, 99 on the test, a 90% on the super tests, you can shoot five yard roundup and you get tired of shooting 99s and hundreds on it. Go to Tom's course. Uh, especially if you have some instructor pedigree, if you're a law enforcement instructor and you think you got your stuff together, go find out. That's what I'd like to put on that one. Yeah. Well, before we close out, would you like to talk about PatCon? What part of it would you like me to talk about? <laughs> well, isn't it coming up? Uh, it's in March every year. Okay. So what's, is, is there an, an event coming up you want to talk about? Maybe, and maybe I may, I've, wrote down the wrong name or wrong event. Well, there's the guardian conference is coming up, but, uh, but if we're on the subject of range master, that the range master tactical conference is, uh, uh, you know, it's every year in March and for the, for, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be in Dallas at the Dallas pistol club, uh, where president Wayne Dobbs resides. Uh, but, so, I mean, you don't have to be a, so that's Tom's training conference, right? Yeah. So, yeah, let's, I mean, let's kind of say if you can't, maybe, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but if you can't make one of these, that's another option if you can get a slot in. I mean, is that something we want to throw in there? Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of an all-you-can-eat buffet of, uh, you know, Tom's circle of of, of trusted instructors, right? Yeah. Um, it's difficult to get in because it sells out in record time every year. Uh, I think I've, I've gone three years. Uh, I, I wasn't even a a range master instructor or anything. I'd never even been to a range master shooting course before. Uh, I got kind of encouraged by Michael Burgess. Hey, the year that we all went was, Hey, it's, it's halfway between North Carolina and Oklahoma. Let's meet up and we'll, you know, we'll have some beverages and some dinners and we'll stay in the hotel and we'll drive to the range every day together, you know? So, uh, what's Michael's background? What does he do? Uh, Michael is like a construction and paving engineer, or I guess you could say an asphalt engineer. Okay. Um, we met like 20 plus years ago, uh, at an IDPA club. Uh, when I was stationed at Fort Bragg and he was one of the guys tearing down targets. And I decided, you know what? I need to be one of them guys tearing down targets and putting stuff away. Right. And that forged a lifelong friendship. Hey man, this guy's all right. He, he came in and threw targets on the back of the trailer, you know, he's, he's helping us put our props away and there's three of us, you know? So, so, uh, what you want to close out with? You know, you gushing about your love affair with Michael for 20 minutes. <laughs> so, in closing, what do you see the future is for training? What has changed over the past X number of years? And why do you think training is better now than it was? And where do you think it's going? What's changed? I think we've gotten a lot more efficient at it. And I think we've, we've put a lot of what we've called the fundamentals over the years. We've put a lot of that into context. Uh, we've, we've focused on what's important and kind of thrown some of the rest. I won't say thrown it out, but in the defensive pistol realm, uh, I'm sorry, but like breath control, I'm not shooting a thousand yards with a long rifle. My heartbeat ain't going to affect the 
ain't going to affect it that much. So do we need to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about natural respiratory pause and all that, you know, all that mumbo jumbo we've filled our heads with when, uh, when we essentially have a staple gun in our hand, it's, uh, so that's really changed. I think we've gotten a little more, a lot more pointed at the way we teach defensive pistol applications. I think that, uh, that shift has been really made in the last probably five years. Red dots are a thing now. They just are. I, I'm not uh, I'm not 100% sold on it. And it's not because I'm a curmudgeon, a FUD, a boomer, or any of that. I'm a card-carrying Gen X member. But I shot a iron sight off-the-rack G45, and I kept up. I kept up and excelled over a lot of the red dot guys. So Lee Weems sent me something and I'll read it. And and it was in reference to, uh, specifically to, to, to red dots. And, and he said, I can give you better scores with a red dot site. I can give you faster times with a red dot site. I'm not sure I can fight as well with it, which I thought was really profound. Uh, and there were some courses in Tom's, you know, instruction period that the red dot showed no real advantage, if any at all. Um, so is that something I'm going to knock people for carrying? Oh, absolutely not. If that works for you, make it work for you. But that has become a thing. And, uh, I'm kind of a firm believer that a red dot pistol course and a pistol course, they're both pistol courses, right? Like it's a sighting system. There's some minor adaptations you've got to make. Uh, we're finally getting ready to, we're on the cusp of seeing an over the counter solution for the red dot and, and a pistol. So, you know, at some point, maybe I'll explore that a little bit, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm sold on having it on my fighting gun yet. That's changed. And then the other big paradigm shift I've seen is in that course, I saw P SIG P365s, SIG P320s, Glocks. I saw a, a, a Springfield XD. I saw some M&Ps in there. I saw single port comps, match grade barrels, and a whole litany of other little knickknack accessories. And I was able to, I will say I was able to prove because, and, and if nobody else to myself, that an off the rack bone stock gun with out of the box ammo is more than capable. One particular course, we had a five inch, we had, I think it was a 10 by seven inch scoring square with a five inch circle in it and everything from 25 in, I kept all but one round in the five inch circle. And I was like, you can't argue with that performance for something out of the box. That's $429 plus some sites. I don't think we've ever seen that. I don't, I don't think we've ever in the history of firearms seen guns that we Tupperware guns that we could go buy off the rack and have that level of performance with unmodified. And I'll tell this little story, a little side note on myself. I, I told Michael Burgess on day one, I said, after we shoot the first course of fire and we reload mags, somebody is going to come up to me and ask me what I'm shooting. And I would tell him a, a G 45. Well, what have you done? And I said, the next question will be, what have you done to it? And my answer was, I put sights on it. No, no, no. Really? What do you have any trigger work? Do you have, are you running an apex, a Timney, a this or that? Nope. That is an off the rack. You can go buy that at your local gun shop right now. And I don't think we've ever been at a time in history where one gun wouldn't maybe outperform another. Um, and I hearken that back to the area, the era of the gen two Glock. Uh, I could pick up a SIG P226, and that gun had an, an expected level of accuracy above what the Glock did. And now with gen five Glock P320, M and P 2.0. They're all on an even playing field. It's just, what do you prefer? We do live in the golden age. We do. By far. So I'll ask you one other question. 
Oh boy, more. <laughs> Coming back from this experience, how are you going to change when you teach? The main thing that I'm going to that I'm going to change is the seriousness of the material because I've always kind of addressed it, but Tom really hammers the point home that the reason you're carrying a gun, he gives you the reason you carry a gun. And I've never breached this subject or I I've mentioned it, but I haven't really put the emphasis on it is the reason you're carrying a gun is because you might have to shoot someone today to keep them from killing you. The mindset shift that I'm going to put into the, the open enrollment training that I do that that's going to be the root of it from now on, from here on out. The reason I'm teaching you the skill sets that I'm going to teach you is because you might have to apply those to save your own life. Uh, that's, that's the main shift that I'm going to make in, in, in doing open enrollment classes. Well, Brian, I think that's a good place to close out. I want to thank you for this opportunity for me to sit on the other side of the mic and I've certainly enjoyed it and I uh, hope we can do other things similar to this in the future. Well, I will let Hanny know that you have done his podcast well. Hey, thanks, Rob Harris. <laughs> thanks, Rob Garrett, for hosting Hanny's podcast. <laughs> Long standing running joke here at the Off Duty On Duty podcast. Thanks, Rob, for joining me and interviewing me about my recent experience at Rangemaster. Reminder check out our sponsor, CCW Safe Tent. Off-duty tent will get you 10% off your membership. EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, get one today at uh, edcbeltco.com. By the way, we got some special ones coming to the Guardian Conference, which sign up for the Guardian Conference. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you like to listen to podcasts or all over the place. The Off-Duty On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.